Good morning, church. Please stand. Lord, we're just so grateful to be in your presence today. We thank you for all of the things that you're doing in our lives and in our community, God. And we pray that you would meet us here in this service today, Lord. Good morning, church. Please stand. Please stand.
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. First commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Are we supposed to kneel? Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry. And I humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray together the collect. Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins, and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, Savior, Jesus Christ, lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Children, if you will come up. All right. Good morning. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> hey. All right. I love this crowd. All right, everyone, if you'd reach out your hands and pray with me as we bless these young people as they go off to Sunday school. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for each and every one of these young people that you've put into our life, Lord. We ask that you would bless and keep them all the days of their life. You would watch over them every day, that you would fill them with your wisdom, with your strength, with your courage, with your peace, and with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them. And they will wither. And the whirlwind will make them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
morning's psalm is Psalm 147. We'll read responsively at the half verse. Hallelujah, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. And binds up their wounds. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the heart to our God. Who covers the heavens with clouds. Who prepares rain from the earth. Who makes grass to grow on the mountain. He gives to the beast its food. And to the young ravens I cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. In those who hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. This morning's New Testament lesson comes from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 16, commencing. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might be all means, by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
minds, on our lips, and on our hearts as we hear his holy gospel. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We are reading from St. Mark's gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. The gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. in our life this morning. I pray that as I speak the words of your scripture and teach out of your scripture that our hearts would be awakened to the transformation that you want to take place in our lives and in the lives of our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to continue in our Faith, Unity, and Joy series. And today we're talking about unity. We just had three weeks on faith. And so I wanted, I wrote this whole sermon on unity, and then we read this this uh, New Testament lesson from Corinthians, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so good. 
So I'm going to stop for a second. We're not, we'll come back to the regularly scheduled programming, but uh, we're going to jump into Corinthians here. And I just want to look at what Paul said. Because he writes, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. So on a day when you're talking about unity, and then you look at how Paul lived towards people. And then he goes on and what he does is he calls out all of the various fighting tribes within the Christian movement, the Jewish and Christian movement at the time. And that's what he's saying here, right? He's saying, I made myself a servant to all of them that I might win the more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those who were under the law, as under the law. To those who were without the law, as without the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all men. And as we talk about unity, you can hear Paul's heart. His job in probably the most contentious time in the, in the church's history was right when they were trying to figure out, because nobody really knew what Christianity was. They were figuring it out by God's grace, by looking at what Jesus said, by looking at what Jesus did. And so throughout the entire New Testament, you can see especially in the book of Acts, it talks a lot about this. You have these factions in the church that are at each other's throat because we should sing hymns and not contemporary music. Or they maybe they're at each other's throats because you shouldn't be doing the Eucharist by a priest or a bishop, but you should just be a pastor on the street handing out wafers and grape juice. They have all this division in the early church, and they're trying to figure out what is right and what is good. And Paul's message is, I will go and I will be as a Jew to the Jews if I can bring them the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I will be under the law if I must to bring some people into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want us to keep this in mind as we talk about unity because we can be so sure of ourselves, our opinions, our thoughts, and our beliefs that we can be at odds with what God wants to do on earth in our midst. Because we're so convinced we're right and they're wrong, we will sacrifice love and unity to get our way. And so that was what struck me out of this. And the last verse, he says, now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. As long as we are oriented around the gospel, Christ Jesus coming and saving us, we don't have to fight about all the other stuff. Now, let me say this. The other stuff matters. I'm not saying it doesn't. You actually do have to make decisions, especially in the early church. I mean, we're talking about some massive problems in the early church where the Jews were turning over Christians to the Romans because they thought they were heretics to be stoned and imprisoned or where some people were saying to everyone who came in, if you want to be a part of us, you have to be circumcised. You have to be under the Jewish law. You can't eat bacon. There were serious things on the line here. I mean it. And so they did have to work out their differences. But the heart of Paul to say, I want to be a servant to all of them. That's the heart of unity. All for the gospel. He never sacrificed the gospel. But for the sake of the gospel, he was willing to be a servant to those who probably wanted to kill him. Or at least have him imprisoned and shut up. That is our story as we jump into this message about unity. 
And so I wanted to talk about, we've got this uh, past three weeks, these great words on faith. And what faith does especially well is it orients you towards God and his purposes. Now what unity is about is this horizontal dimension. How do we both be oriented towards God and love one another? And looking around this room, it can be hard. We have had our differences. And yet, we are called to do it anyway. So let's get our faith in line. Let's hear and obey. Let's trust that God is going to provide for all of our needs. And let's move into how do we live that with one another? How do we do that? Well, when God gave us this word, it was clear at the Rector's Council level that the reason he wanted us to focus on faith, unity, and joy is because he had something for St. Michael's to do. He had a plan for us. And we would need faith, unity, and joy to accomplish the plan that he was setting before us. The faith that moves mountains. Guess what? That means there's mountains coming. That's part of the word. Mountains that we are called by faith to move. And unity. Let's talk about what unity does for us. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, God is looking at the people of the earth, and they've come together to build the Tower of Babel. Now, I don't think they named it the Tower of Babel. In fact, that was after. They thought it was the tower of their success. They thought it was the tower that was going to lead them to heaven. And God's response to a bunch of people saying, we're going to build a tower to heaven, wasn't to laugh at them. He didn't look at them and say, oh, gosh, those silly humans. No, he said this. Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. That's incredible. God looked at them and said, they could do it. They could do this. They could build a tower to heaven. Now, of course, I don't know what that would mean because heaven is not spatially limited to the heights, right? Like heaven's an alternate dimension, you know? Um, but I do know that God was emphasizing unity and its power in that moment. They can do it. They are of one mind and one language, one purpose. What else can they not do? So if God is telling us we're going to need faith to move mountains, he's telling us we're going to need unity because we're going to be doing stuff that's impossible by ourselves. We're going to need one another. It's going to matter whether you are nice to the person sitting next to you in the pew. And I don't just mean nice, right? Because I've seen people be nice, right? And that can be pretty mean when you're being nice to somebody. I've met some people who are just really good at being awful to you while being so kind. But I'm talking about something deeper. I'm talking about even when you disagree vehemently, even when you're able to say, look, I think you're wrong on this, you can remain in unity. Believe it or not, Paul's showing us that way because his heart was to serve for the sake of the gospel. Let's talk a little bit more about how this works. Now, in our culture, we're facing what many have termed some of the most divided time in the history of our country. I would argue that we've seen more divided. Imagine the Civil War. We've seen worse. So at one level, I want to say, like, the pundits and the people who are telling you that this is, like, the worst time in history, they're absolutely wrong. 
100%, they are wrong. There have been worse times. But nobody can argue that division is not a problem in our culture and in our society. Specifically, division in families. The tragedy that so many people are growing up fatherless in this world is maybe the greatest cultural problem of our life. Because God had a plan for the world. It was a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined with his wife, and they will be fruitful and multiply. And when that breaks, especially on the level of our culture, you see the negative repercussions. We're so blessed in our community to have so many strong and wonderful fathers who are standing by, raising their children, who are building families. That is not the norm in our culture. And so I want to emphasize the fact that this unity conversation, I want to focus here, but it has such far-reaching implications for our world. Unity, the way Christ teaches unity, will change the world and has changed the world. There's a reason why a couple of hundred Christians have now become billions of Christians. Because by God's grace, by their ability to remain unified as they stayed unified around the gospel, they were able to overcome even torture and death at the hands of persecution. If you didn't think unity was important yet, I want want to visit one more passage that I think spells it out a little bit more for us. And this is Jesus, and he's praying for his disciples, aware of the fact that he's going to be leaving them. He's going to be ascending And while he will never be separated from them in the spirit, they're going to have to live out the plan that he set before him, accomplish the work of redemption. And so he's praying for them, and he gets to this part in John 17 where he says this paragraph that is a little dense, but we're going to unpack it just a little bit. It's pretty clear what he's after. I do not ask for these only. They talk about his 12 disciples but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Like we are the people who believe in Christ because of the word of the apostles that has been handed down, codified in the Bible, and through tradition we have heard about who Jesus is because of these men. So we are the people who believe in him through their word. He's praying that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Now, maybe there are parts in there where you got lost in the language because the language is absolutely dense and it refers back to itself. But there's something really clear Jesus wants. He wants us to be as unified as him and the Father are unified. As the Trinity. I mean, that's pretty intense. Because Jesus says things like, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. I don't say anything I don't hear the Father saying. There's a relationship between Jesus and the Father that is a unity that is unbreakable. And he wants that for his church. Now, he's praying for it because he knows how hard it's going to be. The only way that will happen is by the grace of God. 
And so he's praying for these things. So there's two things I'm pulling out of here. First of all, Jesus wants to be at, us to be as unified as he and his father. And secondly, this part, it says, so that the world may know. He says that twice. So that the world may know. Let's break it down a little further. There's two great pictures of what unity is supposed to look like among us. And we're getting to the practicals here. There's two pictures. It's Jesus and his father, and it's the mystery of marriage. We have an awesome wedding coming up this coming weekend, and we get to see that mystery in the sacrament of holy matrimony. It says, when husband and wife become one flesh, but I'm speaking of Christ in the church. The mystery of the union in marriage is the same mystery as the union of Christ and us. It's the same image that Jesus is talking about when he says, I want them to be one with us as I am one with you as a wife is one with her husband. These are all talking about the same mystery of union and unity. But it gives us a little bit of a road to see well, maybe unity doesn't mean sameness. Because you only have to meet one married couple to know that they're not the same. The husband is different than the wife. And the wife's different than the husband. One example, the way I wrote it in my notes is, Haley and I face this challenge every day. Every day. We are unified in our commitment to God's will for our life and for the life of our children. And that is where our unity generally ends. <laughs> we have to work really hard on all the other stuff that we disagree about. Now, granted, she's come over to my side on a few issues. And so she's starting. To, I'm educating her along the way. And no, I'm just kidding. I'll pay for that one later. But we will have these arguments, right? And maintaining unity in an argument is not easy to do. But we'll go to a park, and my job as the father, the way that I view it, is to make sure that my children go to the highest point of the park and find a way to jump off. Like, that is the goal at a park. And Haley's goal at a park is for the kids to remain out of the emergency room. And those odds, you know, sometimes can feel like there's some tension in here. We really are unified. I want my kids to be strong and safe. She wants our kids to be safe and strong. There's a little different emphasis here, right? I want them to go to the edge of their ability and beyond it. And she also wants that. But she wants them to remain safe. And I do too. It's just like a little s safe, you know? And so what I'm saying is we really are unified. But we got to work that out. And in the moment, what I hear is, you're dumb. I don't like what you're doing. And what she hears is, you're dumb. I don't like what you're doing. Not... This is the thing that we both care about. Let's find a way to do it well. This is just one example of the type of unity we have to figure out in the church. You've probably been in that meeting with somebody where you're trying to do the same thing, and yet you hate each other in the moment. Like, why do you keep contradicting me? But you're really aiming at the same goal from different directions. Unity is about remembering the center. Like what Paul was saying, for the sake of the gospel, 
if you look at his list of people, right, the people under the law, the people not under law, he's talking about the Christians who feel that the law has been superseded in the covenant of Christ. And the, the other Christians are like, no, you can't eat bacon. Like this was a big thing. But they all agreed on Jesus. And so that's the point, right? When we're talking about unity, you keep the central thing central. That's what faith helps you do. And then you stop thinking, man, this idiot, and you start thinking, oh, we just have different ways of trying to get to the same place. If you can get there in an argument, then unity can be maintained. But I'm going to go one step further. Sometimes you also just have to let go. Sometimes I just have to say, you know what? Today might not be the day that Rowan jumps off the highest part of the park. Maybe today... Even if she's wrong, which maybe she is, maybe she isn't, it might just not be the day because unity is more important. I've been telling my son lately, and he is quite the lawyer, as you might suspect. And so we have lots of arguments about what to do and what's important and what's right. And he'll explain to me the rules. But dad, these are the rules. And sometimes I just have to tell him, Rowan, sometimes it's better to be good than it is to be right. Sometimes it's better to be good than to be right. And of course, goodness, the idea of goodness is integrally linked with truth. You can't separate them, right? But there's something where everyone knows what that means. Sometimes it's less important that you're right in a moment than that you're good to the person you're with. We'll get into this a lot more next week because next week is the enemies of our unity, which I'm really excited about because we get to talk about all the nitty gritty of the stuff that comes between you and I. I get to air all the dirty laundry. No, Uh, I get to talk about all the ways that you might feel towards one another. And we'll talk about Paul. He has a great story about this, but I just want to stop here and say the picture of a marriage as a picture of unity should show us that unity is something you have to fight for. I've got one more example for us today. And when we talk about Jesus, he starts saying, you know, you should be one as I and the Father are one. You might get confused and think that Jesus is leaning towards this Eastern idea that you are to subsume, to give up your identity and join with the divine. I've heard literal people really fervently believing this. That that's the goal of life. That nirvana is when you let go of yourself and you join back with some divine consciousness. That is not Jesus' picture of unity at all. If you didn't get it from the husbands and wives, you can look at the role of the father and the son. The son obeys the father, but he doesn't stop being the son. He doesn't lose his identity. It's actually our very distinctiveness that allows us to join together in Christian unity. Sameness is not unity. You can imagine in the picture that we're given that we are Christ's body. That's what it means to be joined with Christ, is that we actually are Christ's body together, the church. Imagine a body made up of just hands, or just eyes, or just ears. Besides fuel for nightmares... It also just doesn't work. That's not it. That's not, the, that's not unity. That's whatever that is. We are called to actually have our own distinctive ways of acting. 
And I apologize to like 50% of the room, depending on who you are, but I'm going to use football as an analogy here. Imagine you are Dakota Rain Prescott. That's the quarterback of the Cowboys. And your job as the quarterback is to throw the ball to the right place at the right time. Well, guess what? Your hands have to be in sync with your mind, your feet, your body, your hips, your eyes. I mean, you hear the announcers take apart uh, quarterback stance, and they can find to the millisecond, oh, he was off rhythm. He was out of sync. His, his hand held on just a little too long, or his foot dropped like he stepped back at a different angle, and that changed the rotation of his hips. His body has to be unified to be a quarterback. That's the difference between a completion and an interception. For those of you not football people, between something really good and really bad. The difference is unity. But he also has to be in unity with the team of people. There's blockers, and they've got a block, and there's receivers, and they've got to run their routes, and the timing, and the precision. And the best part of football is when you see that play where every single person did their job so well that it's a miracle the ball ended up where it was supposed to be, right? And just like us, if any one of those people was like, well, I don't like that guy, so I'm not going to do my job, the whole thing falls apart. And yet in the church, we're like, yeah, but that stinking receiver or that dumb quarterback or, man, that running back's awful, and we just don't do our job. Because we fall out of unity. We allow the devil to push, you know, push our buttons and separate us. And just like in the church, there's a whole team of people on the other side that you're fighting against as we do our job. Think about a football team. The job of the defense is to make sure that unity does not happen, that things don't come together. You blow up an assignment and as a, you know, I'm not going to get down the rabbit hole, but you, you stop somebody from doing their job and the whole thing falls apart. And every day you're fighting a battle, a battle for unity. You're like, well, I'm alone all day. Like sometimes I will get in a car at 4 a.m. and I will drive for 12 hours and I will get out of a car and I will go into a hotel room and then I'll be in a hotel room for five hours before I go to sleep. I'm alone for 17 hours. And yet all day I'm fighting for unity. In my mind, in the conversations I have on the phone, in the way that I serve the people on the job site when I drop off the material, in the way I interact with the hotel receptionist. Everything we do should be done in love. That's the secret formula for unity. You love people. Not like, ooh, I love you. No, like, I will die for you. That's the love. I will wash your feet. I will serve you. That's what unity is about. So every day, just imagine there's a defender lining up against you, and his job is to break your unity, to get your eyes off the prize. Faith will keep you focused. And we've got to fight for that unity. Now, the other side of this prayer that Jesus said was, all of this is so that the world may know. And earlier in John, Jesus says, John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The most devastating critiques of the church today are that we don't love each other. 
They say things like they're hypocritical, they're squabbling. Actually, I wrote a fun paragraph here. Christians are hypocritical, judgmental, squabbling, egotistical tribes who worship the God of love, but practice the same fighting as everyone else. That's what many people think we are. And to be honest, we could all get on our knees and say the confession again if we think real hard on that. We've all done it. Now, I need to clarify. You've said the confession. God has forgiven you, right? But I'm not saying we ever need to do that again. I am saying, be aware of the fact that love is what binds us together and all this other stuff, not only does it distract from what we're doing as a church, but it makes the whole world unaware of where that city on a hill is. It's like no one lights a lamp to put it under a bucket. What's the bucket? The hypocritical, judgmental squabbling. That's the bucket that will hide your light. It's so important that I let this person know I'm not going to let them walk all over. I'm going to just be, you've got all these things that you can get offended by. And yet the person walking down the street is like, man, I would go to church, but I don't trust them. Why would I want to go be a part of another political body? Now, I do want to say, I think us here, St. Michael's Church, are awesome. There's no place I would rather be on a Sunday morning. I mean that very, very seriously. I mean, somebody could say, hey, you want to go to the Vatican? I'd rather be with you guys. I might go to the Vatican just to see what they're doing over there. But I'm just saying there is no place I would rather bring my family to. No place I'd rather build with you guys. I'd, we did the church men's work day yesterday. Our job during work days, if you guys don't know, is to like scrub bathrooms and fix fences. It's not glamorous. It's the stuff my wife can hardly get me to do it in my house. But I love being here with you. And doing these things with you. That's what unity is about. And we're told all these things. Gentiles shall come to the light of your brightness. Yes. As long as you are unified. As long as you love one another. Let's end by talking about a couple of phrases that made, shaped St. Michael's culture. Some of this is coming from stories I've heard, but I was, I've been here for 31 years, so I've been here a good amount of time. One of them is, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. You might have heard somebody say that. It comes from this play, Henry V, that was made into a great movie. Everybody should watch it. But from the beginning, St. Michael's and Faith Community Church, Stone Mountain Church, had this persona, this identity that, yes, we might be a small church, but we're together on this. And that matters. That togetherness, that, unite, that united front. And this church, a lot of the people in this room, started an international denomination with thousands of churches. You don't write, like, people don't write books like that. What they say is, we had a thousand people, and then this great donor came in and gave us a billion dollars, and we were able to start a million churches. Like, that sounds logical. But instead, this little church, united around the vision of where God was telling him to go, spawned an international denomination. Unity matters at St. Michael's. What do we unite around? We unite around Jesus. What does Jesus do? He tells us to do things. How do you know that you love Christ? You keep his commands. And so the unity has always been, we are on a mission for Christ. And that's something that I think God wants to reinstill in us. 
It's a generational thing. There's a lot of people who've heard this message before. There's a lot of people here who are like, this sounds familiar. And there's some people here who are like the children or grandchildren of those people. And we're called to step up. And we are stepping up. I can already see it happening. And the key cry that goes along with we few, we happy few, the one that brings it all together is no nobis dobine. Not to us be the glory, but to God be the glory. You know what? I'm not going to talk a ton about pride next week, but I'm going to talk a little right now. There is very few things that will divide you more than selfish ambition and conceit. I'm using selfish ambition and conceit because it's in the scripture, but that just means selfishness and pride. There's very few things that people fight over more than when you are out for yourself and not for your brother. If we make it non nobis dobine, actually God gets the glory from all this, that's something you can unite on. If it's I get the glory or she gets the glory or he gets the glory, that will divide you. It's about God getting the glory. And so as we talk about unity, we talk about the secret to unity is love, the practical, we all have our role to play, we're all facing an enemy, I want to end with this passage from Philippians chapter 2. And like I said, you should come next week because we're going to get into the enemies of our unity. But Philippians 2 gives us the secret here. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, being unified, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That echoes that passage from the Tower of Babel. One language, one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. We have a church of people who followed those two verses, three verses. Then we can change the world. We already have. St. Michael's has already changed the world. And we're called again to remember our unity, our love, to give up selfish ambition and conceit and to love one another. Amen? Amen. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets.
and I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the Lord at all times listens to the cry of his people. Therefore, let us turn to him with confidence for our needs and the needs of the whole world. For the patriarch, all bishops, priests, and deacons, that they will boldly preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, in your mercy. For the church in Africa, Asia, Australia, and Europe. Lord, in your mercy. For the church in North America, South America, and the outermost parts of the earth. Lord, in your mercy. For men and women who minister to the sick and dying, that they will be strengthened in their their ministry by Christ, the great healer. Lord, in your mercy. For those who despair because of past abortions, that they will repent and open their hearts and experience the merciful forgiveness of God. Lord, in your mercy. That there will be unity among God's living saints in matters which are essential and respect for those differences that are non-essential with all wisdom and humility. Lord, in your mercy. For the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit and his gifts upon his people. Lord, in your mercy. For our inner cities, that peace, justice, and mercy will fill the streets. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you the everlasting God, hear our prayer. Give us the grace to run the race you've called us to and not grow weary. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Greet your neighbor with the peace. With your spirit. (laughs) There are um, a few announcements today, uh, and I would uh, first like to say thank you again to all the men that were here yesterday, standing in unity, fixing and cleaning those bathrooms. Praise God. It was a really glorious day, and the work that was done is so important, and I appreciate all the men and all of the efforts that they put in. And that wasn't the only thing we did, but it was, uh, it was important. We were, we were really happy to have those two new guys, Donnie and, and Miles. Amen, too. yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So uh, great, great uh, bonding. <laughs> we have um, catechism tonight, but not next Sunday, because apparently there is a football game. So we're going to study twice as hard. If you are a parent of one of those young, uh, young students in catechism, you uh, are going to have to really take a 
keep a close eye on him because there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, this is a, a new book. You want to look at that. There's a lot of things for them to study and learn, and you want to help them as much as you can. So pay attention. There's a wedding. What else is happening? There's a fire night. Uh, we have fire night this week, 7:30. Pancake supper uh, the following Tuesday. Ash Wednesday, 8 and uh, 7:30 services. Uh, the following Wednesday, we have a youth retreat right, at, right after that. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be very busy, so uh, take a look. Also, keep an eye out for the emails that uh, we send out to give you the, the, that information. Also, the giving reports are in the Northex, so you can uh, go ahead and fill out your taxes, which is always fun. Um, Tomorrow is going to be really rainy. If you can come out and help with uh, the society, it'd be very, I'd be very grateful. We'd really appreciate it. Amen. Keep your eye on that. Yeah, there are a lot of opportunity for us to be united in the next busy weeks. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for our offering. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and make good your vows to the Most High. Ascribe to the Lord the honor due his name. Bring offerings and come into his courts. Let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord.
Thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just our duty, our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For today you've revealed the mystery of our salvation in Christ as a light for the nation. And when he appeared in his mortal nature, you made us new by the glory of his immortal nature. And so, with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the host and power of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim.
you're holy, indeed the fountain of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted. He took bread and he gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup and again he gave thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died, died. Christ Christ is is risen, risen, and and Christ Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and the saving cup. We thank you for standing. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. Humbly we pray that partaking in the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love. Together with our patriarch, Craig, our bishops and priests, Remember those for whom we now pray. Susan, Naomi, and Sandra, and Sandra, Aaron, and Tammy, and Patrick, the House family, Jermaine, Bob, Ryan, the Campbell family, Sandy, Clinch, and Fisher family, the Johnson family, Jeff, our Marines and Sailors at Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You may add those to whom you are praying. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ, the world. Lord, have mercy on us all. You made us worthy to share eternal life with the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Joseph, her husband, And with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us, may we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all our and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. 
Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. The gifts of God for the people of God.
Thanksgiving, let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. 
Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell, Satan, and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking ruin of our souls. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Our help is in the name of the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen.